Hello everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Dairy Science Digest. This is the second edition of a monthly podcast highlighting the most current dairy science research being published. I'm Reagan Bluell, your host from the University of Missouri Extension Dairy Team. And today we welcome Dr. Ricardo Chevelle, a large animal vet with a research and extension appointment at the University of Florida. His research has a focus on herd health, welfare, and reproduction. He came to Florida after experiencing the dairy industries of California, Idaho, and Minnesota. So he's been exposed to many different management styles, barn styles, and even breeds. So today we're going to highlight the work that he and his team completed after looking at the effectiveness of SCR collars in determining estrus detection for the breeding herd and embryo recipients in a well-managed commercial herd in Florida. When I was looking for the next article to highlight, I knew this would be a great feature when I was reading the introduction of his paper, and it mentioned that an improvement in profit per cow per year, when you improve your estrus detection from 40 to 60% and accuracy from 85 to 95%, could yield as high as $9 per cow per year. So it caught my attention, and I'm eager to share it with you, and this data is currently in press and scheduled to publish in the Journal of Dairy Science next week. When I asked Dr. Chevelle, why were you interested in looking in this particular project? Here's what his response was. Um, In fact, the herd that we did the experiment at, uh, we had worked with them for a while. We had the perception that they had some significant problems with accuracy of heat detection. They were relying heavily on heat detection based on one data set that I had from another experiment. I, I noticed that their accuracy of heat detection was only about 67%, which means that 35% of the time, 33% of the time, they either called the cow in heat when she was not, or they did not find a cow that was in heat. And this is a herd that had some challenges in reproductive performance. They were always hovering around a 21-day preg rate of 16 to 18%. It's a a phenomenal herd as far as, you know, cattle, as far as the owner, the, the managers, they're outstanding people. So we felt that there was an opportunity to do this experiment. And uh, the other reason was that they used quite a bit of embryo transfer in the lactating herd. And up to the start of this experiment, we had not seen anything done using automated systems versus just plain heat detection with the aid of mounting uh, devices like the KMAR or even tail paint. Uh, we had not seen anything done in embryo transfer. So we felt that there was an opportunity to first show them what the system could bring, also produce some scientific data of value to the industry. Absolutely. And so I think you bring up an important point, even in the best in the best of herds, there is absolutely a human element of heat detection. And so noticing that in the data is a robust way to decide which way to go forward. So you say phenomenal herd. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about about their production, level of production? Yeah, their uh, rolling herd average was um, 13,000 kilos, which is 28,000, 29,000 pounds. And that's a herd that has about 6,000 cows. And when you think about, you know, hosting cows in Florida at 28,000, 29,000 pounds of rolling herd average, that's pretty impressive. Yes. Uh, and so it's a tunnel ventilated farm, uh, mostly for the lactating cattle, but with several naturally ventilated barns for prepartum cows and some cows in later uh, lactation. 
Outstanding. And so they're really taking care of that transition herd also, it sounds like. Great. Yes. Yes. Um, what a wonderful commercial herd to work with for your research efforts. So to get a clear understanding of if these collars were actually going to help the reproductive success of this particular herd, I asked Dr. Chevelle to describe the research treatments that he was going to use to capture that effect. The main differences in the treatments are that one group was basically detected in heat visually with the aid of Estratec. The other treatment was visually detected with Estratec with the addition of the uh, activity rumination devices. And we use the uh, SCR system. SCR, very good. And so it was fitted around their neck? Yes, it's a, it's a collar that has a, a device that monitors chewing and, and activity of the cows based on the cow's uh, head bobbing back and forth when they walk. And so it basically is a system that determines how much rumination the cow has had and then how much activity she, had, she has had. And then it compares every two hours. So for example, today the system compares the activity and rumination from eight in the morning until 10 in the morning with the average rumination between eight in the morning and 10 in the morning of the previous five days. Okay. It compares the activity of that cow from eight in the morning until 10 in the morning with the average activity of the cow in the previous seven days from eight in the morning until 10 in the morning. So it creates a baseline for the cow. So the system knows what the cow should be doing. And then all of a sudden, when there is a spike, either upwards or downwards, then it says, oh, this cow has something going on with her. And in heat, we observe that there is a significant spike in activity and a significant drop in rumination. So that's what the system is detecting. It's really fascinating to look at the graphs. And so does the data upload as they go through the parlor or are there devices throughout the barn that communicate? So this device is in, in particular, actually, we basically had to set up antennas at the parlor. And then because we want to capture some data prepartum, we also set up antennas in the prepartum pens. And basically what happens, as based on my understanding, is that the device captures the information. And then every 20 minutes, the device sends a signal to the antenna. And then the data that's captured by the device is downloaded into a software. The device stores data up to 23 hours. I say that if the data was not uploaded into the system and it's been at least 24 hours, then the first hour uh, is lost. First hour of data is lost. But anyway, what happens with the new system is that because you can set up these antennas and the system and the device sends signals every 20 minutes, you hardly ever lose any data. Okay. And and to communicate the antennas between themselves until it gets to the computer, we use basically Wi-Fi antennas. It's very simple. That sounds wonderful. So that it could technically work for those herds that are grass-based also, right? Because they... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the antennas that we used, they have a reach going forward of about 800 feet to 1,000 feet, and then going sideways of about 500 feet and then going backwards about, I think, 200 feet or so. So we have another experiment going on right now at a farm of about 3,300 cows, and we have four antennas that captures all the cows in the herd. And oh, so wow. It's, very, it's a very sweet system. Absolutely. That, that sounds great. Okay, so the, after the cows are fitted with the device around that 26-day mark or those prepartum heifers, 
you're you're watching prior to synchronizing estrus and and how do you go about from from that moment that she puts the collar on where what's the next step for the researcher what we told the farm was don't change anything that you're doing just basically breed the cows that are coming heat off the system and the student also captured information about the time of onset of estrus the duration of estrus the peak of activity the the lowest point of rumination and so on. But that it was a relatively simple uh, project. Okay, good deal. And then, um, so their voluntary waiting period was 40, 45 days, 48 days. And if they were not seen in heat, then what would happen? The cows that had not been detected in heat by 54 days in milk received uh, one prostaglandin injection. If by two weeks later, they had not been detected in heat still. Then they went into the G7G protocol. So it was a very standard, simple protocol. We just prostaglandin to induce, induce some heats and then looking for heats from 54 to 68 days in milk. And then if they had not been detected in heat, they went to the G7G protocol. Did you cherry pick on the G7G program? And if she were in standing heat following that second prostaglandin shot, would you then cherry pick and breed off of the standing heat? Yeah, if, if the heat was good, uh, we bred off of it. Okay, yep. very good. But otherwise, you'd follow out and do a full timed AI insemination. Yeah. That's okay. Right. The speed at which the cows in the control treatment were being inseminated after the voluntary waiting period was very similar to the speed at which cows in the automated system were being inseminated, meaning that they were being inseminated at the same rate, which would tell you it's a good thing. But the problem likely is in this herd that when they were inseminating several cows in the control treatment, they were actually inseminating cows that were not necessarily in heat. That's why their fertility is lower than the automated system. Mm. Yeah, so they, they read the lottery ticket wrong. <laughs> exactly. Basically, that's what it is, right? So so we are working with another herd now that is the opposite. Uh, we are finding that the automated system in this other herd improves dramatically the rate of insemination, the, the speed at which the cows are inseminated, because they are very conservative in inseminating heat. So in this herd in particular, we're not seeing significant improvements in pregnancy to AI, but we're seeing significant improvements in, in the rate of insemination. Hmm. That's interesting to capture it that way because every herd manager manages that personal exactly. opinion a little bit different. And you got to understand what your personal management type is to determine whether or not this electronic device is going to ultimately help your bottom line in getting those cows pregnant uh, to that service. You, you, you just steal my thunder. That's exactly the conclusion oh. of the experiment. No, no, no. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You, you, you did a perfect job at summarizing how people should look at whether or not to use the automated systems. You, you are 100% correct. You can only make that decision of whether or not I should use automated systems based on what your management is and based on what your performance is. You should not go based on, you know, of a course. A pamphlet. Of course, publish, publish, publish data is very important to help us understand how things work and, and the next steps. 
But I, as an extension person, cannot go out and give a blanket recommendation saying that the system is going to improve pregnancy to service in every single herd because this herd had some nuances that I know that made the system work better. And I see. you summarized it very, very, very well. Well, and I think that's got to be a sigh of relief for guys uh, right now during lower milk price, and they're they're really desiring to add these devices into their system. When in fact they can they can make multiple steps forward in the improvement of their reproductive success just by making subtle changes just in their their mindset, their management mindset. And once milk price turns around, perhaps this could really help them out also. But just being aware of of how you're handling that estrus detection. If you do a phenomenal job at that, you can you can be very successful also without this device. I could not agree more. And I think the most important thing about investing in a system like this is to have realistic expectations. You only have that if you know exactly what your goals are and you know exactly what your performance is. I thought a really interesting part of this research project was focusing in on those high producing cows. So this was a very productive herd down in Florida. And we know in every herd across the nation, those high producing cows are hard to get to stick. So let's learn a little bit about how these collars impact those top producing gold star cows. For the milk yield, uh, we found exactly what we expected. Uh, Milo Wilbank in Wisconsin had shown already some data back in 2004 that demonstrated that cows that had high production had reduced estrus behavior. There is data, there is evidence that it's related to how much they eat. The more they eat, the more blood flow goes through the gut. If it goes through the gut, it goes back into the liver. And then hormones like estradiol are are degraded, are broken down in the liver, and then if she has less estradiol, she has weaker signs of heat. And we found the same thing in our experiment. The cows that were higher producers, they had a heat that lasted for only about 16 and a half hours, and the cows that were lower producers, they had a heat that lasted for 17.1 hours. Hmm. And, and also what we found was the cows that were higher producers, they were less likely to have a very strong heat compared to the lower producers. Hmm. So, so we, we found what was expected as far as higher producers have more challenges to show heat. We believe that because of this harder time of showing heat, we ended up finding that the higher producing cows were the ones that benefited the most from using the system. I bet so. You know, when I was reading the background information and learning about how that increased dry matter intake and it filtering through the liver and all of that, it makes complete sense. But somehow, I, perhaps I missed that Wisconsin article way back in 04. It, yeah. My mistake. But I, as I was reading that, I can just imagine the all of all of it being filtered out. And we always know that those high-producing cows are hard to catch. And are they truly anestrous or are we just not seeing them? And, and there's all those different nuances, but being able to identify them using this tool allows you to keep those, those high producing cows in your herd longer. And I thought it was really neat that you guys use the data to identify the median or, or the middle of your 
1,600 cows on, on your test and you found their middle milk production, and if they were above that milk production, then that automated estrus device worked better for that group of cows than those that were below the median milk. I thought that was just really interesting. And as you have it graphed out, you can visually see or hazard for service and, and ultimately pregnancy really separates out from the control. And I think those lottery tickets, that high producing cow, she's more interested in going and laying down, not showing estrus, just chewing her cud and making milk. And, uh, and you can visually see that in the graph. I, I think it's really interesting. And that graph that I believe you're talking about is actually the rate of pregnancy. So we see that, that there's a significant advantage of the automated system when high producing cows, you know, we're using that in the high producing cows, but for the lower producing cows, we didn't see that much benefit. Um, yeah. I love getting that high producing cow pregnant and, and reset for the next, next lactation so that she can stay uh, a longer period of time in early or peak lactation, that peak lactation, um, really paying the bills. I yeah, and I think that's really what, what this, this type of uh, technology may, may allow us to do. And this is actually what we're doing now with another experiment is this, this type of technology may allow us to design a reproductive protocol according to the cow's needs. That is the future of how this will be used. We're learning so much about what it means to a cow to show heat early postpartum that we're doing an experiment now that we determine at 40 days in milk if the cow should go to a full time day I protocol or if she should stay and be bred off of heat. Because now with these systems, we can predict what the cow is going to do. Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then that minimizes your efforts through management, minimizes the number of cows that get enrolled into the timed AI program. So that's less shots that you have to give, whereas it heightens your need to have accuracy in your heat detection. And, that's right. And, and so there's, there's not a one-fit protocol for any herd. You have to know your management types and your ability to observe estrus and what your cows are capable of, of managing also. Really neat. If you were to summarize, how can your research directly impact the, the boots on the ground, the dairymen of the dairy industry? Okay, my message is this. If you have questions of whether or not you can do good heat detection, uh, and if you do not want to use 100% timed AI, then you should strongly consider using the automated systems. So let's say that you are a herd that is doing a pre-sync, off-sync, doing a lot of cherry picking, but your pregnancy to first AI, let's say, is less than 35% or 40%. And you have questions of whether or not you can do heat detection consistently, um, but you also don't want to go to 100% time AI then the system may be for you because you will be able to breed the majority of your cows off the system as long as your cows are cycling, right? As long as you have good transition cow management, as long as you have good health and good flooring. So the one thing that's important, I should say, start with that, is that the system will not solve issues with management of transition cows, with cow comfort, with overstocking, with high incidence of diseases. The system is not for that. The system is to allow you to breed cows off of heat if that's your plan. 
if you have extremely high pregnancy rate of let's say 28, 30%, and you're not using a system, then I do not think that the system is gonna make your pregnancy rate increase. It may allow you to change your reproductive program, but it will not likely get you to 38, you know, from one day to the next. Okay, so with that, we're getting awfully close to our magical amount of time that we have. And I just want to make you guys aware that there are a few bits and pieces that are remaining for the second edition of the Dairy Science Digest. If you're interested in learning more about how these SCR collars impacted embryo transfer and or what it looked like under heat stress conditions, please listen on for just a few more minutes. Otherwise, I want to thank you for coming to the second edition of Dairy Science Digest and your interest in learning more about state-of-the-art research that's occurring across this fine nation. And of course, a big thank you to Ricardo Chevelle for his willingness to interview for Dairy Science Digest also. So with that, if you have any questions, never hesitate to reach out. I love to do follow-up blips and answers for this topic, but otherwise I look forward to recording again for next month. Talk later. Thanks, guys. Okay, there was also an element of AI versus uh, embryo transfer in the experiment. Could you expand on how did you decide if, if the cow received a thawed straw of semen or a fresh embryo? Okay, this, is, this was basically according to Don Benick's genetic improvement uh, program. And he decided which cows to get semen and which cows to get embryos based on their generic merit for production. And they also decided based on an internal index that they created based on what their needs are. And he does genomic testing of all his animals within two months of birth. So he decides which ones get the embryo and which, why, which ones get the semen based on their genomic merit. I see. Very good. Okay, guys, I know you're wanting some results here. So I started delving into the actual impact of the collars on those embryo transfer recipients. Could you speak a little bit about the difference in, in AI versus embryo transfer relative to the treatments? So if the cow was detected in heat, either visually or by astrotech or by the system, she was bred with the breeding window of 18 to 10, uh, which is going to give you breeding 6 to 18 hours after the onset of heat. If the cow was to receive embryo transfer, then she was simply marked to receive embryo transfer. And then five to nine days later, she received an embryo after she had been uh, diagnosed with a CL in one of the ovaries by the uh, veterinarian that did the embryo transfers. So she had to have a strong source of progesterone to support that, that embryo. Did you see an impact of treatment on the success of the embryo transfer? Yeah, so the treatments basically behave the same way when AI versus embryo transfer in the sense that in this herd in particular, pregnancy to AI and pregnancy to embryo transfer uh, were improved by using the automated system. The automated system behaved the same way for AI and embryo transfer, meaning that the system improved pregnancy. Now, what was surprising to us was that when the cow received an embryo, the difference between the control and the automated system was bigger 
than the difference when they received AI. For example, first service pregnancy at 95 days of gestation for AI in the control was 31%. For the AI in the automated system was 36%. So a five percentage point difference. <laughs> but when they received embryos, the difference was 21% for the control and 32% for the automated system. So an 11 percentage point difference. Wow. This, this was very surprising to us because our thought was, well, even if the farm is making a mistake in detecting heat visually or by astrotech, by the time that they are palpated by the vet, you know, five mm -hmm. to nine days later, you would expect that the vet cleans out any cows that were misdiagnosing heat earlier. Right. But, but that just didn't pan out the way we thought. Actually, it was the opposite. We saw greater improvements in fertility for the ones receiving ember transfer when we use the system. And the theory behind it is that, you know, it's one thing to detect that the cow has a CL in the ovary, and that's fine. But the synchrony between the stage of development of the embryo and the uterus of the cow, the recipient cow, is really important for the fertility, for the success of that embryo transfer. There is one data set that, that shows very clearly that if you put a seven-day-old embryo into a cow that is in day five of the astrocycle, or if you put a seven-day embryo into a cow that was in heat nine days ago, their likelihood of getting pregnant is much smaller than when you put a seven-day embryo into a cow that was in heat six or seven days ago or eight days ago. So the synchrony between the development of the embryo and the stage of development of the uterus of the recipient cow is really important for the success of that, that embryo transfer. By palpating a cow and telling, oh, she has a CL or not, you're not able to really improve the accuracy of, of the synchrony between the two. And we believe that with the system, because the system is very accurate in determining heat, we believe that we improve that, that synchrony, let's say. Absolutely. And matching up the, the uterus and the hormone profiles with, with what the embryo needs to be successful in, in implanting and carrying on. All right. Our final extra topic for Dairy Science Digest edition number two is discussing the effects of heat stress and utilizing these automated systems in heat stress conditions. I would like to circle back a little bit on talking about the THI and your high producing cows. And so temperature humidity index is, is going to be a number that I'm sure everybody's going to read about in popular press coming up as, as we have heat stress going across the nation. And you were looking specifically at, at that threshold THI of 68. Can you talk a little bit about THI and your milk cows in this very high producing herd? We have been reading literature for a long time, always indicating that excess THI affects reproductive performance by many different ways, all the way from follicle development, estrus expression, to increased pregnancy loss. So we expected that the THI in our experiment would be negatively associated with the intensity of the estrus of the cows. We expected that the more time they were exposed to high THI, the less likely they would be to show a strong estrus. And we also expected some effects on 
pregnancy. We didn't find that in this experiment. That does not refute all the literature that has been published regarding the negative effects of heat stress on reproduction. It's just that in this experiment in particular, we didn't find that. Now, well, sorry, go ahead. I, I suspect that perhaps that tunnel ventilated barn probably helped quite a bit with eliminating some of the heat stress, surely, didn't it? Definitely. That is a very good point. It's a very good point because in this herd in particular, the tunnel ventilated barns, they are, you know, well kept. And then the, the, the actual ventilated barns all have sprinklers and fans. So you bring up a very good point that even though THI was pretty high for most of the time, it was probably part of the management that reduced some of the negative effects on, on asters and fertility. All right. So in summary of this article, your heat detection accuracy is really of the utmost importance in the reproductive success of your herd. Now, while these collars may help you, it really is dependent on what metric is actually holding your herd back. The SCR collars are not a band-aid approach to fixing all things repro, but can be a great tool, especially in herds using embryo transfer to rapidly enhance their genetics. So there's no need to rush out there tomorrow feeling like you have to buy these devices, especially during this time of low milk price. However, they could be a great future addition to enhance or redesign your existing reproductive protocols and especially helpful in, in retaining those high-producing cows within your herd. So if you think you're interested in assessing if these tools would actually help your herd, please reach out to your local extension agent or large animal veterinarian to access and assess your data so that you won't be disappointed with the results on your farm. So with that, this is Reagan Bluell from the University of Missouri Extension Dairy Team signing out from Dairy Science Digest number two. Thanks for listening.